Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all the listeners of the Good Anime Palette Podcast. Today we are going over episode 42. Not going to introduce the topic yet because we will go over that in the latter half of this、uh, discussion. But,、uh, you know, always the same, always Jason, always me. How's it going over there, buddy, in your brand spanking new chair and your monitor? This chair feels pretty good. The monitor, well, it's the same one from your old place, but hey, it's pretty good. It works out nice, right?、Wow. At least now there's a little more screen real estate to work with. Important question, though glasses check. Is it the same glasses as no, last time? No, it's not, because you said it was the black glasses that you wore the previous episode or the previous, previous episode. You were wearing the blue ones last time. And then you were wearing a bamboo pair. Actually, you haven't worn a bamboo pair in a while. Hey, good job. No problem. Hey, what's up, guys? Is this, this, this going to be the new thing? I know you said this was kind of the thing you wanted to, that we did in the last episode, but are we actually really going to? No, keep no, 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 no. I, I, I think it'd be really shocking if you didn't wear glasses and I didn't notice. That would be like absolutely what the hell's going on. Yeah, not that the listeners can actually hear. Me not wear glasses, but imagine you take the glasses off and your voice actually goes down like two tones. No, no,、uh, I take it off. I, I take it off, and all of a sudden, I am a chibi version of me, <laughs> and、uh, I just all of a sudden have like a cutesy voice. Yeah, no, I was more imagining you take them off and you just sound like Kensuda. Nah, like, like I'm not that cool. Like- not that cool, bro. Yeah. Oh, by the way, do need to talk about Kensuda later on、uh, in one of the in one of the、um, the the anime series we're talking about later on.、Um, but、uh, before we even go into that,、uh, usually we have a read watch section at this point.、Um, I unfortunately don't have anything because I've been incredibly busy with work and I've also been doing a little bit of like reading and watching stuff. For today's topic discussion, I know it's you know very、um, different to my usual style, being able to binge everything months ahead. But this time round, like I just haven't been able to. But I think Jason has actually got something to discuss today. It's not a anime, but a manga, right? That is correct. I have listed this as a mystery manga. So unless if Will、uh, got spoiled, I am going to talk about. Are you the- reading Akanebashi? No, but close. Good, good, good guess though. Okay, good. So this is.、Um, I'm just going to say the score right now. It's a nine out of ten manga. It should get an anime adaptation soon, and I will put it as my winner for that award when、Jesus、we get to、Christ. GAP finale. Okay, is this an ongoing series or is this something you picked up from before? It's an ongoing series. Oh, jump, jump plus. Right. It is written and illustrated by Yuki Nobu Tatsu. Published in the Suisha's web service Shonen Jump since April 2021. If that name sounds familiar, is because he was the assistant of Tatsuki Fujimoto, who is does Fire Punch and Chainsaw Man, and also the former assistant to Yuji Kaku for Hell's Paradise, who is also getting an anime adaptation soon. This has a raw mouth score of 8.24, rank 350, popularity 184. It is none other than the science fiction spiritual manga known as Dandadan. Oh, I have consumed pretty much up to current, which is around seventy chapters. You can read all of it on Jump Plus. And this story, it was kind of on a whim actually to read it, and I just didn't stop after like the first couple of chapters. Uh, the story is about a guy and a girl. The guy is called Okarun, and the girl is called Momo. Basically, Momo believes in ghosts and spirits. Okarun believes in aliens, 
and after a weird incident happens, Okarun is possessed and has spiritual powers, and Momo has psychedelic, not like psychic powers that is taken from an alien life form. And this is about their story. It is extremely action-packed, and it's about just crazy action of aliens and spirits invading and wrecking havoc on the human planet. It looks pretty sick. Now, when I was reading this, the amount of two-page spreads that this series has, I think, Will, I mean, you read a lot of manga. You would know that two-page spreads are kind of like a big deal in terms of like, it is like the it's the, the climax. It's the piece de resistance of a manga artist's like ability to showcase like what's great about their work. I mean, like, it's if you look at any like spreads from Blame, for example. Absolutely right, yeah. Um, I would say the average two-page spread count is about two chapters. There's always a two-page spread. There was one chapter which is only 20-something pages, has three two-page spreads. And it's insane. It is drawn really, really well. And the story, I... Dude, this is really fucking weird. I'm actually reading it right now. So, Will, if I were to tell you that there is a manga that incorporates Minecraft at some point... Is this like a techno-sex cult kind of thing? What do you mean by techno sex cult? Like technology sex cults? Because there's a lot of like really phallic imagery. In fact, there's a lot of like real like on the nose. Like let me let me touch let me fiddle your if you fiddle my kind oh, of stuff. Oh, okay. The reason why is because they talked about how aliens would do like experiments on humans. Oh, and then that was that segment that so, you're reading right now. Probing basically. Yes, and something happens. Basically, uh, it is extremely funny. And the action is extremely... Oh, like, you know, that's cool. They have that monster from Ultraman. Yep. And, Will, they have the dumbest humor I have seen in a long time. It is, if you were to take Chainsaw Man and um, dial it back in terms of the sheer cynicism and include just this kind of fun energy and also have lowbrow humor but in a way that you're just like it's a bunch of teenagers trying to save the world but not really type stuff they go into a segment where a person is called turbo granny does that like yeah what the fuck okay there is at one point someone does a move and they call it jennifer lopez anaconda i i have no idea how they got past copyright with that. i have no idea but it's there well, they're definitely not going to do that when they're actually making the anime then. Probably not, because JoJo, you know, has that similar issue, right? And it is an extremely shonen anime. There is a lot, and I mean a lot of fights. And uh, it's an extremely good manga. So in a, in a way, it's like this This is what Shoeisha is known for, right? Like Their, their, their main shtick is being able to produce like really high-quality shonen action, and like that's never been like any different like throughout their existence i mean the fact that they have jujutsu kaisen they also had they had demon slayer and now it's i mean just looking at a couple panels of dandadan it looks sick i mean yeah. here's the other thing too all 71 chapters that are out right now completely free to read and with the, the i mean at the time of this recording actually by the time this episode releases 
the 72nd chapter will have also released too. So we've we've shilled the fuck out of the Jump Plus Mongo Plus platform already, but it's fucking free. It, and if you want to pay for a subscription, you can as well. So it's like I mean, most 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 manga like by volume has around like eight to nine, eight to ten chapters, right? Yeah, something like that. It's it kind of give you like a trial version because like each chapter is like roughly like twenty to twenty five pages, except for like if it's like kind of like a debut, the first chapter right. might be like forty to fifty chapters. Like the first episodes, uh, like Dan to Dan, the Dan to Dan first like two three chapters is like that. It's a double length essentially. Yeah. But essentially, you're getting almost like seven volumes of of content high res too it is gorgeous and i mean like i have an ipad mini an old like an older generation ipad mini and like the panels like fit perfectly they're like it. wallpaper worthy like that's how good it is and i know i'm like shilling dandadan and i have been talking to will about this off air that like oh maybe i should check it out maybe i should just see what's it all about i pulled the trigger a couple of days ago I have not stopped reading it. I mean, it's the same way where, like, I've, I've been meaning to read Akane Bashi because I've been hearing, like, some good things about it, and I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. But I, th- I think, like, you know, whether we have discussed this a bit on air or, like, because we definitely have talked about it off air, but we, we do want to start maybe sort of highlighting a couple more manga series that are serializing right now in the hopes that you know it gains a little more visibility get enough people to check it out and hopefully be able to give enough information of data to uh whichever platform is publishing these uh manga series to then say hey you know what maybe we can actually get an anime series out of this yeah you know, I- in a way now it's like we've talked about how jump has kind of been in a slump where they weren't really getting a lot of like good serializations now a lot of stuff was getting moved into like the, an- uh, the anime production cycle well, actually, like all of a sudden, yeah. what we got Spikes Family, we got Kaiju Number Eight. We've also now got that stupid bit of news about Unto Unluck as well, but yeah, um, it's uh, also Jump. So hey, yeah. whatever. And I think Dan to Dan, similar with how Mashal had a recent anime adaptation announcement, a complete anime adaptation announcement at that. That one I'm very hyped for. I think Dan to Dan is. I'm willing to bet money on it that. It is only a matter of time before it gets it, and it will get it pretty soon, I think. Yeah, I think like we we talked about like our our gripes with the current landscape of Shoisha and the fact that there was a lack of actual. I guess it's 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 really really rough to say that there was no future for Jump, but the fact that there wasn't a lot of stuff we could see outside of Jujutsu Kaisen that could really get like enough people to you know get their eyeballs onto Crunchyroll or onto Netflix and watch like the series that you decide to animate. Now it's more and more likely that you, if, if something comes out, there's a better chance that it gets serialized. It, you call it like a desperate move, call it like a change. In I think it's changing of the guards, really, yeah. because, I mean, we talked about it. One Piece is going to end soon. Uh, Demon Slayer I mean, is soon, right? <laughs> relatively, okay? And uh, My Hero Academia is relatively ending soon. You yeah, know, that one is like more sure it's like it'll be ending in the next year or two. Right, so... It's, it is, in my opinion, when we were seeing it at that time, we didn't know what to expect with the new series because it's always going to be like a mixed bag. And in the beginning of it, right, a lot of series got axed after like 20 chapters. I think like uh, there was a series called A Gravity Boys. A Gravity Boys got axed. Um, there was also, um, I mean, just generally a lot of sort of like shonen quote-unquote knockoffs like trying to sort of like rehash that model and become popular which is you know what makes you know shoisha and shonen jump properties popular in the first place there was also a lot of like supernatural mysteries and such life stuff that was also axed as well um there was also that one i think it was um 
Roboco and me. It's it's that uh, dolphin. Yeah, that, that one also I think also got cut too. That got cut too. Um, and then all of a sudden, Witch Watch, which I kind of dismissed after reading the first couple of chapters, is now massively popular. So, you know, I, I, it's really hard to sometimes predict how these things will perform. But one thing I can tell you is, Dan to Dan, the art is solid. The comedy is solid to the point where. I'll spoil a little bit, which is the male main character loses his penis at one point. His banana organ. His banana organ, yes. Uh, they, they, that's the technical term that they use in Dan to Dan. And it's actually really funny. You're like, actually reading it as well, where it's just like, it's just a lot of alien speak for like human, like human body parts. It's just like, I, I like that they did that because it offers like a layer of censorship. Yeah. Like they wouldn't just say, oh, chin chin straight away, yeah, right? Or, yeah. But at the same time, on the panel, officially translated, have people calling each other skanks in Dan to Dan. And I was just like, cool, kind of? Like, that's like, I did not expect that, but sure. I mean, it's kind of funny when you, and some of their, like, insults are just, like. I mean, we're, we're, we're reaching that new guard, right? Where, like, people can be a little bit more, like, gruff, a little bit more risque with the sort of things they say. I mean, like, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that long ago where, like, shit was not allowed to be set on air but now like every single television series has shit in it you can even say fuck well do you know the equivalent of shit in um dan to dan they call it a turd pudding okay that was the insult that they use for uh dan to dan unko pudding yes and uh look i've gone on about it it I mean, is. It's been ten minutes talking about it. I mean, like it sounds like. I mean, you started off by saying it's a nine out of ten. I've only a, read like ten panels, and it's just like this. This actually could be like a really good series to adapt. It is a very. I mean, good the fact that there's already seventy plus chapters out, like it, you don't keep running that long without having some indication that there's going to be a green light for your anime production at some point. You don't get an eight point two four rank three fifty and popular one eight four without having it being somewhat of, a, of like, a, a very high quality. So MAPPA's doing this then, right? So here... You must have thought about it. I said Trigger. Ooh, actually, no, that is a really good shout. That is a good shout, because they've done Penny and, uh, uh, Penny and uh, Stocking with Garter Belt. I mean, I'm also, like, side note, very excited to see how Edge Runner would perform, because I saw the trailer, the announcement trailer for that. <laughs> it's fucking insane. Well, but Dungeon Meshi... Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, to look forward to for yeah for, for sure right? for sure um so it well, wouldn't be bad actually no that you actually is a really good shout to call trigger as a potential studio to animate um dan to dan i don't it, it, i don't it, think it, it will it really but... is up their alley but again like yeah we don't make those decisions right yeah if, if we did then yeah, yeah sure just like, literally pull the trigger it would be per- either honestly it would be either production ig or mappa that's what it would be would you see production ig doing that actually they lost haikyuu yeah, but well, okay. We don't know if the finale movie is the finale, or they're just saying that, and then they have like another TV series, whatever later. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, like if if it's going to be like a big like show in action, like you probably do want to get like a big studio behind it. So yeah, Mappa is always going to have its name thrown in the hat. I would, yeah, production IG probably as well. But um, will I implore you to at least check out a bit of Dan to Dan because if we, if you're in the need for something where it is really action oriented, but also somewhat in with like 
the kids kind of thing, but also have crude humor in a way that is palatable. I was really, really pleasantly surprised by how much I love Dan to Dan. Yeah, no, I mean, like we're we're going on almost fifteen minutes about Dan to Dan, and so hey, look, there's been a lot of like really good manga that's been coming out on the Shonen Jump Plus and Manga Plus platforms. Um, I'm sure that's like Azuki probably has some good stuff on there too. The Square Enix platform, yeah, man, manga up, comic key, and all that. You can only really see that like there's going to be more and more eyes on these like manga streaming and manga like sharing apps going forward. Uh, which actually like leads in quite nicely into the news section because uh, it's not completely rosy when it comes to the anime side of things. Um, we're talking specifically about the Blu-ray and DVD markets um, for anime. So we've talked before about how streaming services are slowly losing subscribers over the years um, just because of the fact that you know there's been more and more competition uh, and also because the fact that now like with all these different platforms trying to pump out content, it also does mean that a lot of stuff gets kind of watered down and it's really hard to really see what the point in, play, in paying like a eight or $10 subscription per month for the service really amounts to anymore. Um, so, hey, like maybe people are just trying to find other ways to watch anime and, uh, you know, it, it might be Blu-rays and DVDs. Well, actually, it's it's not. It's not the case at all. So the Japanese, oh, sorry, the Japan Video Software Association, the JVA, released last week the Blu-ray and DVD sales for Japan for the first half of 2022, and this is for general audience. So it's not just for, it's just they separate kids and general audience. So this is pretty much everything else that is not kid oriented. And during this period was 11.82 billion yen which is around 86 million US dollars. Now, that may sound like a big number. However, this is a decrease, I repeat, a decrease of 54.6% from the previous year within that same time period. And that is crazy to hear. I mean, it was only just the last episode where we were talking about how there was like a sh- a, there was a shrink in terms of like the the revenue from the anime industry. Right. And this is just a byproduct of it as well. But it also shines like a much like darker light on this where if it shrunk that much, I mean we can talk about COVID, we can talk about how, how it's affected production issues. They also attributed as well. They also attributed the Demon Slayer effect of well Demon Slayer the numbers, right? Exactly. So that was another reason that attributed to the high increase the previous year and the no the the decrease this year. In general, um, if you are unaware, Blu-rays and DVD sales in Japan is still a very big thing. They usually bundle it with like extra OVAs, special episodes, and they're highly highly expensive. But that is where a lot of animation studios actually earn their revenue, yeah. not actually from their anime being. Uh, broadcasted or licensed out. Yeah, so the, of course you get licensing fees, you get royalties as well, and this goes for like you know any streaming service, you know whether it be on Crunchyroll, Netflix, uh, Manga Plus, Comic Key, uh, or even just like you know being broadcasted on regular TV. You know that money does trickle in, but when you're able to get cold hard cash in hand, especially when you're selling a hard book manga, or in this case, you know a hard copy of like a Blu-ray or a DVD. That's like, like that, that. That is like salient, like money right there. You can see that you've got profit coming, or at least you got revenue generating. So, and the margins that, yeah. are really good. It's just like how these YouTube influencers or YouTubers 
They have sponsorship deals, of course. They have the ad revenue from YouTube, but their merchandise is where they can earn potentially a shit ton of money. So merchandising also in anime, I would say is like since the dawn of time, merchandising, DVD, Blu-ray sales, all of these physical goods are a huge, huge chunk of the revenue for animation studios, not the committees that actually earn most of the money. So Yeah. That's why like for example, if we talk for example like um like Ghost in a Shell, Evangelion, um, Cowboy Bebop and stuff like that. Like stuff that came out like close to thirty years ago. Yeah, they're still licensing stuff, but the royalties that come through those like aren't necessarily like, you know, going to make or break your company. What is going to make or break your company is the amount of merchandise that you can sell afterwards. Like what kind of uh, pachinko parlors are using your machines. What kind of body uh, pillows? Yeah, body pillows and dolls that you're selling, right? Figurines. You know, what kind of other sort of merchandise you can actually market and sell to people? So that part is you know what generates like the most amount of money. Um, like, that's why to this day, like Evangelion, Bebop. Uh, well, of course, like we're talking about these shows, like they're I guess no, they're still like classics and they're still watched to this day. It's just that now because of the fact that it has been thirty years since release. They're still generating money because people want to play Neon Genesis Evangelion Pachinko Machines. People want to buy merchandise from Cowboy Bebop. People still buy Blu-rays of Ghost in the Shell. And there are still, still, like, crazy limited edition Blu-ray DVDs of even Akira. Or, like, or even, I bought, like, in my lifetime, I think three or four DVDs of Ghost in the Shell some variation of it. Like there's the regular edition, then there's the special edition, then there's like the 10th anniversary special edition. Yeah, I, I mean, wait, wait, wait for the, the the 8K resolution render version of it as well. Like people will buy that. People yeah. will absolutely buy that because and, it's a classic. And it's very well known for a lot of weebs that merchandise, a lot of that share of profit and revenue goes directly to the people that in in a lot of people's minds and in ours to a certain extent, to a large extent is paying the people who are actually doing the work. So the I, th- I think the bigger implication of this is, you know, with streaming sites losing subscribers and Blu-ray DVD sales slumping as well, where are people going for their anime now? So I know you posed this question off-air before we started recording, and I thought about it a bit, and I think it's just because money's tight. Yeah, and, and that actually, that probably is, like, the number one reason. Now, of course... uh. That doesn't mean that there aren't avenues where people can go to find certain things, but Will and I are not advocating that. But that is, as I think we mentioned maybe an episode or two ago, that is just the reality of things. And I think with COVID and kind of in the recovery period now to to a certain extent, people are still hesitant to where they invest their money in order to get their entertainment. There might be another reason for that as well, where, you know, I think we mentioned before that the Japanese government implemented a new sort of plan to revitalize the economy by getting young people to drink more. Maybe they just get wasted all the time and can't look at 2D waifus. Yeah, they get drunk so they can't watch stuff and then they look in their wallets. Oh, all my money's gone. I guess I can't buy this Blu-ray anymore. So shit. Okay, I guess that's, you know, what my situation is now. Who knows? It, it 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 in the end, it's it's not like the biggest oh, doom and gloom, right? Please drink responsibility. Exactly. Guy. Yeah. Do please do, do not overdrink. Right. Uh, Crunchyroll and chill. Really chill on that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's not necessarily like the biggest doom and gloom, but um, it's 
it's it's definitely worrying to see like what's happening to the industry and hopefully you know when all this covid uh bullshit ends um we can start to see some signs of recovery the only issue is that because of the fact that it's still a big issue in japan who knows how long it's going to be for before they get onto that road to recovery but will it is not just this world that is suffering from covid it's the another world where a certain uncle has come back that is correct uncle isekai or known as uncle from another world is an anime that I think for the most part is licensed on Netflix. And they also do the staggered release similar to Comey Can't Communicate. And it is an extremely funny show, an extremely good show. I love the manga. Will loves the show. And I think a lot of people love the show to the point where I've, I hear it at my workplace. Like people talk about it and like love the crap out of it. So, yeah. Will, why am I being so doom and gloom about Uncle Isekai in particular. Yeah. Well, there have been a couple of episodes out already. Actually, not a couple. Uh, several episodes out for it. However, uh, it's going to be a while before we see the next episode of uh, Uncle Isekai because there has been a COVID outbreak at the studio, uh, Atelier Upon Dark. Uh, also, other studios that are involved with the anime's production. So, uh, they're now just doing reruns of episodes 3 to 6 um, throughout September and who knows when the anime is going to resume. There hasn't been a confirmed date yet because COVID is a serious thing. And especially if it's the very, very contagious variant, it could take a while before they're able to actually greenlight people to get back into the studios. And the cases in Japan had a surge very recently. So that is sort of the main reason why, well, chances are some of those COVID cases could possibly affect the anime and manga industry. And here you go. Here's a direct case now yeah hey look i mean like let's say like everybody's back and healthy right three weeks later everyone's back okay great we can get back to work right uh no not in the case of uncle isekai again because this is actually a two-part news story there's actually a second bit of news that came out shortly afterwards um so one of the directors for uncle isekai actually um doesn't really paint a very picture perfect image of what's been going on behind the scenes uh for the production of uh, uncle isekai so um, this guy, who is named as Ipe Ichi, is supposed to be planning to direct the anime's 10th episode, but have officially announced that he is pulling out of the production because, and we quote here, there was no anim- animation staff available three weeks before the episode was slated to premiere. Furthermore, uh, Ichi said that while working on the episode... There was an incident where he had to remind a staff to, and I quote again, not treat a person I introduced to them carelessly and to act appropriately through the final episode. Now, this is all, of course, you know, behind the scenes stuff. So we can't, you know, confirm nor deny whatever he says. Uh, This is all, you know, his own words. But you got to be in some type of mood to essentially tweet that kind of stuff right like there's and and remember this guy is not necessarily just like oh he's just directing one episode no he actually is quite vocal uh within the uh anime animation uh industry i mean for like i think it was like several 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 months even like a year ago uh, when he actually like made a claim that animators uh were getting bottom rates um on productions of anime uh, nick fix anime that was made by mappa and now MAPA's gone on to deny that, um, and that's, you know, they say that they don't offer unreasonable competition to creators, but they offer rates that are relative to, you know, budgets on projects and stuff like that. But 
this it's this, PR yeah. speak basically. But of course, like Ichi is someone who is very vocal and in terms Absolutely. of in terms of protecting uh, the rights and the the safety of um of, of animators. You know, in terms of being able to have you know, mentally safe work environments, being able to be remunerated properly for it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also at the same time, actually having people to work with. And if you're in a studio where there's no one around that you're supposed to release an episode in three weeks' time, like what the hell are you supposed to do? So you have to understand, and I'm sure a lot of people do, the kind of hush-hush culture in Japan. You kind of don't stick your head out. You kind of don't poke the beast, so to speak. You don't go out of your way to say things that will sort of alert people to the impending, impending problem that at the workplace that you're working at. However, so if I play devil's advocate, you will say, well, animators get paid shit wages in general. I mean, there's plenty of news stories that say that, and I'll be like, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't change the fact yeah. that that's fucked up. We, we don't want to make that the norm, right? We don't want to just say, like, oh, if, if that's how it is, that's the way it should be. Oh, like, suburbs are yeah. not getting paid well? Oh, well, that's just join the crew and join the like the line of people that are getting underpaid. And I'm like, yeah, there should be no line of people that are getting underpaid. But that's like, yeah. Then there is the whole like the implication of that quote of that person being treated carelessly and to, you know, act appropriately. That is basically in our, in my opinion, Japanese, a Japanese way of saying, dude, you fucked up. Don't disrespect me. He's saying it as politely as possible. Exactly. Right. So, is is this does this does mean the end of Uncle Isekai? No, I don't think so. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. they've already been given the license to be able to work on this. Netflix will definitely not let this sli- uh, slide as well. But it does show that you know, like throughout the whole process of producing an anime during a time when COVID is still very much a real thing, and it does mean that there's worker shortages, there's logistics issues, production issues, delays will happen. But you also have Plan Bs and Plan Cs in place to be able to at least rectify those problems. There doesn't really seem to be much of a solution for any of those issues here right now. And look, Atelier Upon Dark, a very, very young studio, only incorporated two years ago. And like before they even did this, I think they were working on some others, like small kind of like Isn't anime this project. their first official like? I mean, if you look at if you look at Mal, that's probably the only thing that shows up on there. Right. And I think what people tend to forget is the after effects of a certain event only happens a year or two down the road, so to speak, because everything else has already been in the pipeline. So it's been either close to completion or it will be completed. So in other words, this is the direct kind of effect from COVID essentially. So even though it seems that a lot of the world is recovering, not everywhere, now we're actually feeling the effects of COVID in terms of the anime and manga productions. So it's unfortunate. I hope everyone is, will recover and safe and healthy. And also because I think uncle Isekai is a very good show. And I think this in like this studio in his infancy is doing an awesome job with this really awesome property. Yeah, no, it deserves a lot of attention, just not this kind of attention, right? We we hope that like there's a safe environment for people to work in. There's enough people who will be able to actually get paid properly to be able to work on their stuff and also be in an environment where they don't feel like they're being disrespected or being like misjudged or mishandled. You know, like, look, like whoever has been affected by the situation, hope you're doing well. Uh, and of course, you know, for the staff behind the, t- uh, the team, uh, the team behind uh, Uncle Isakai, hopefully the 
you can steady the ship and um, you know get back up to speed. Take the time you need though. Like do do not rush this at all. So episode seven is already completed, and I think for us in Hong Kong, it will be released next week. And then after that, as as we'll mention for the month of September at the very least, they will do reruns of episode one to six in Japan. So on Netflix, at least, we probably won't hear an update until there is an official update. So there you go. Yeah. So that rounds up the news. Um, we're going to have a little bit of a break later on, but um, we thought we could use this opportunity to actually sort of go over a couple of things um, because the topic we're discussing today is actually quite quite heavy, quite personal. Um, in, in some cases, maybe a bit too personal, but we also felt that th- this may be you know the right kind of avenue to maybe you know, openly discuss this specific topic at hand because it's it, it's it's a it's a situation it's a topic that i feel quite closely about i know that Jason and i do as well yeah. very strongly about it as well um uh, but and we not also, a lot of people talk about it but right? we also want to do it right we yeah, also exactly. we, we don't want to just you know say what's on our mind and make it the gospel we're, we're we're not going to be saying everything as complete fact uh what we want to do is get, share our opinion share our experiences and uh, hopefully, you know, some of this resonates with you. So our topic that we're going to get into after the break is about mental conditions in anime and manga or mental health in anime and manga and their portrayal, the, all these different aspects of mental health within the anime and manga sphere, basically. Yeah. So, we, you know, in the, in the previous bit of news, talking about, you know, the work environments at uh, Amapa, as well as, you know, at Teleopon Dark, in terms of having a, a safe, uh, mentally and emotionally safe environment to work in, um, particularly during COVID, um, it's it's no no surprise at all. You know, it's no secret that um, COVID has, you know, played a big part uh, in terms of the deterioration of a lot of people's mental health, mental conditions. And um, it has been a very tough time for a lot of people. But you may not think that, therefore, <laughs> 2D fictional characters would also have this issue. But our argument or our discussion that we want to have here is to sort of tell you not only our perspective, but give you examples of how mental health or lack thereof is portrayed in various animes and mangas. But before we go to that after the break, we have to give a very big disclaimer on a bunch of things. Just so then that everyone, including you listeners and us, we are on the same page going forward to discuss this episode after the break. Yep. So first of all, very, very first of all, neither of us are psychoanalysts or psychiatrists we we've, we've never studied psychology university or in any you know, i mean i took a class same I, like I, 101 I, I i did it as part of my sociology course as well but that doesn't necessarily mean that i'm a professional no no, it, no it does not mean i am a professional and, and so therefore all. it's like we're not going to be offering any insights in terms of therapy in terms of how to deal with mental illness because both jason and i have had experiences of our own and that doesn't necessarily mean that whatever works for us works for you but the whole point in doing this as well is to be able to create an environment where we can openly discuss any experiences that we have with regards to mental health mental conditions mental disorders and illnesses and at least sort of you know have people to talk to about it have people to at least sort of understand like what our what our struggles are with it and how it should at least maybe give some insight to how maybe you can also go ahead and talk to someone about it, share your experiences, at least in a safe environment. Right. And a lot of us watch anime or read manga to unwind as entertainment. And therefore, Will and I thought that not only mixing 
our personal lives and real life into this topic. But furthermore, because, you know, if you are like us, we watch anime, read manga all the damn time, how they portray mental health can is important and can impact not only what you listeners would feel, but even aspiring like teenagers who are learning, you know, stuff and learning how to lead their life or where to put their time and energy into their real life when they put that manga down or when they finish that episode of anime. So that is very, that's why we wanted to do this topic. Yeah. And remember as well, anything we say here is our opinion and our opinions only. We don't represent anybody else beyond ourselves. So hopefully, you know, whatever we say, if you do take any offense to what we say, you know, first and foremost, we do apologize for it. That was never our intention. We just wanted to be able to shine light on a specific topic that exists within um, this particular medium that we both love and hopefully at least, you know, show that there are some, you know, good portrayals of these conditions, of these situations that people go through on a, on a daily life. Now, if you have any cursory knowledge about mental disorders or mental conditions, you would know that even though, for example, two people could be diagnosed with depression, the way that it manifests their circumstances, their background, or how they even deal with it or, or what they use to deal with it varies significantly. And we just wanted to sort of tell you that no two people are always have the exact same thing, even though on paper they're medically diagnosed with those with the same, you know, mental condition. Furthermore, just because you do not have an officially diagnosed mental condition also does not mean that therefore like you have no say in any of this. No, that's act that's polar opposite of, yeah, of, of the truth because People feel happy. People feel sad. People go through trials and tribulations just like everyone else. So it is just to the degree of how you deal with it, to what severity, and what you can do to rectify your situation and make it better. Right. These are, we, We're not like trying to only talk about anything that is clinically diagnosed. We can also talk about stuff that is you know, very much in effect from you know, societal norms. We're talking about familial pressures. We're talking about you know, environmental changes. So we, we aren't just only looking into illnesses per se. And again, like, I think we also want to just maybe talk, like, we'll be using different terms such as you know, disorders, illnesses, conditions, both on like a medical and emotional as well as a psychological level as well. These are going to be interchangeable, and we, we don't mean to use these as ways to stigmatize or critique anybody. More so, these are essentially just sort of like the more technical medical yeah, terms. some of them are, are technical medical terms, and also some of them is because Will and I are just two dudes who actually don't know that much about psychology or psychoanalysis. We do know probably way more stuff about anime and manga, but... um. We want to talk about this. We have been actually putting off this topic for a while. At least we have been kind of hesitant. We, we, we wanted to at least be like prepared to talk about it because we know this is a very sensitive topic to someone. Yeah. Now, on one hand, maybe you know you yourself, you know, do like have you know any of these mental disorders, conditions, illnesses, and this may come off as triggering for you. We we never wish to do that. We only just wanted to be able to discuss this so that. At least it's a safe space for you to hear the talk and maybe also converse with someone else about it. Uh, on the other end, if you don't have any experiences with mental health like disorders or conditions, or maybe you know you've just never like, had any sort of like exposures to it, and you don't wish to you know dive, dive deep into it, 
we also would suggest maybe not skipping this particular episode because what what one thing that when it comes to like mental health is that it's never always on the surface. You never really see if somebody is suffering on the inside unless you open up and talk to them. And the more receptive you are to hearing about these issues, hearing about the conditions that people live with, it becomes a, a safer environment for all of us to be able to to coexist, to be able to to seek help without feeling that you know we're weak, without feeling that we're a burden on somebody. Right, and obviously mental health is something that. At least in terms of media, doesn't only pertain to anime and manga. So we, a lot of things that we say, we will try our very best to make it as oriented towards anime and manga as possible. But there is always going to be overlaps. Also, we won't go over literally every single thing under the sun because mental health is a very big, heavy, complex topic, and we only have so much time in order to convey our thoughts. And sometimes Will and I will spitball about certain topics. We might have some laughs, so it's not always going to be doom and gloom. Some segments will be lighthearted, and some things are just kind of weird. But we want to sort of get into this topic, and if this is sort of too much for you, um, and you sort of do not want to hear it, I think these are one of the few instances where, while we would encourage you to hear it, at least hear from our perspective, or at least have a conversation about it, if it becomes overwhelming, you can, by all means, you can pause, stop, or skip this episode, or come back when you are ready to hear it again. And um, we just wish everyone good health, both physical and mental. And if you do listen to this episode and you feel like you know you do want to talk to us about it, you do want to share your experiences, or maybe even ask questions about you know, mental health conditions that, you know, maybe you haven't had the opportunity to, we will welcome any discussion, yeah. whether it be on Discord, whether it be maybe like a, 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 a direct a Twitter, message on Twitter, email. Yeah, we, of course, we want to make sure that, you know, all these messages, as long as, you know, you're, you're safe to do it, you can do it anonymously if you want. We want to be able to at least provide some sort of help. You know, we're not, again, professionals. But we are human, and we all have you know the same level of emotions as anybody else, and so therefore, you know, that we would do the best we can to at least hear you out and maybe provide some of our experiences to help alleviate any issues you may have. And if you like this episode, I mean, as usual, always try to let us know how you feel about this episode. But th- this topic is so massive that we can have multiple episodes about mental health. So if you if this really resonates with you or really strikes a chord and is interesting to you, really do let us know because that will tell us sort of the direction to uh, to go with our episode topics in the future. So that was a bit of a preamble into what we'll be going into later today. So we'll be going on a little bit of a break, a little bit of a lunch break. Um, so, yeah, stick around. We'll go into the deeper topics of mental conditions within anime and manga. And so we'll catch you on the flip side. Welcome back, everybody, to the second half of the Good Anime Palette Podcast, episode number 42. Will and I had a Big Mac for the first time in a long time. Not, not just any Big Mac as well. So here in Hong Kong, they actually released the next gen, the new gen Big Mac. Yeah, I, I don't understand, but okay. Sure. How, did it, how did it taste? 
like a Big Mac. It tasted exactly like a Big Mac. I think the reason why they did that, though, was there was a period of time when the Big Macs just tasted like trash. Like, the patties were dry as hell, and there was, like, no sauce whatsoever. But now it's, like, I guess the new gen just meant that they get back to what Big Macs used to taste like. So, it was good. It was, a, I mean, like you said, a Big Mac's a Big Mac. Like, what does it really say about it? But we have plenty to say and talk about and discuss and maybe vent about our main discussion topic this episode, which is about mental conditions, mental health in anime and manga. Now, let's start with kind of a general perception of how Japan and anime and manga perceive mental health, and then Will and I would jump from topic to topic because it's kind of hard, as we mentioned before the break, to kind of condense all of mental health into literally maybe an hour, an hour and a half max. It's impossible. And therefore, it's also hard to really have like a a structure to it as well. I feel this is more one of those kind of fluid discussions, you know, what pops to mind and, you know, what is, you know, important to us, what is like relevant or even like very much like a real situation for us. Right. So imagine the kind of format like anime life lessons when we did that kind of jumping from, even though they're all interconnected, but jumping from kind of one topic or one subtopic to another um yeah so first of all i would just like to say that the general perception of mental health and mental disorders mental conditions has greatly improved uh, you know since like our parents right well like the amount of importance that people put on mental health now is more relevant and more less stigmatized basically than ever before i think there was a period of time right and like this is more like a perspective for us here in asia though both of us also did spend you know a large amount of our lives over in north america as well between the u.s and canada but you know in terms of just sort of seeing mental health in in hong kong and asia specifically it always felt that the perception of having a mental illness was that like there was something wrong with you and like of course, like there's like there's like a chemical imbalance, emotional instability. There's like psychological issues there too. You're like, professionally diagnosed if if you want to pursue that. But and you we, should. But when we say there's something wrong with you, they mean that like this is not a societal norm. Yeah, there is something that is clearly different about you from what we consider to be normal behavior within society. Like almost like you're exiled or shunned to a certain degree, and. In Japan, this is also the same issue in terms of just people talk less about it or there's not much awareness. Or if there is an issue, you're basically... It's very hush. Yeah. And I think a lot of people's perception, I would say even like 10, 20 years ago, is that all mental like disorders and diagnosis are equal even though obviously they're not they but, all stem from the same tree right they're stem from the mind and we don't we can't see it so you could be faking it or hey you're depressed well then just feel better just be more happy and no, i really hate yeah. that sense that, that literally is right like i i think there was a there's a youtuber that i like watching uh, which was uh, his name is abroad in japan and he actually mentioned like one experience he had when talking about uh going to uh, a hospital uh, to see a doctor because he started having depressive episodes um and then the doctor would just tell him straight away it's like oh if you're feeling depressed you should you should try and be happy you should smile more yeah you should take a shot of whiskey yeah 
Now, like again, that was like one person's experience. That's not reflective of every person's experience when battling with mental conditions in Japan. But I think the general perception is that everything is kind of kept under the rug. Not many people talk about it because it's just it's just like you said, it's one of those kind of like courteous like behaviors of the Japanese people where they don't want to sort of like air out their laundry or they, stand out because statistically speaking the amount of people with diagnosed mental conditions and mental disorders are less than the amount of people without a diagnosis whether or not they should have or not that's a different issue but at least on uh, like you know from a t- statistical standpoint that that proportion is prevalent everywhere around the world so that's just the way things are for that now in terms of like the general perception of mental illnesses mental health and conditions are now in Japan. I'd say it's improved. It, yep. It's definitely improved. I think just as society starts to get more and more aware of these issues, of these situations, they become a little bit more open to talk about it, despite how, you know, in some Asian cultures, it's still a very reserved kind of like taboo subject. Um, but people will st- definitely are now like more outspoken about it, more willing to seek help for it. But I think it's also more in the case of specific conditions. Um, I think, for example, like if we talk about like the ASD, like the autism spectrum disorder, right? So in Japan, uh, as well as in Korea, as well, actually, there's like a lot of coverage in terms of within like media, specifically within live action, talking about specific characters or specific instances where people have, you know, uh, you know a disorder based on a specific spectrum, or autism. or or you are a single mother, or you are a parent who has a child with autism spectrum disorder. It's kind of I wouldn't say oh, weird, but it's there seems to be a lot of focus in terms of certain disorders that somehow the society in general are willing to accept more readily than others. And I think autism spectrum disorder, even though it's an extremely important and serious developmental disorder, the fact that there seems to be quite a lot of support behind it versus something like depression is a bit of an odd thing to consider when you take into consideration the perception of general mental and developmental disorders in Asia and obviously in Japan. Yeah. So back on to like the discussion about autism, we, we're not going to focus specifically on autism. It just happens to be one of the conditions that is actually kind of prevalent within media in Asia now. Yeah. Um, actually... Uh, you, you have you watched The Good Doctor before? Do you know of The Good Doctor? Oh, you mean that um, live action Western show about a little guy? He's a, he literally looks like a little guy who is actually uh, a surgeon, or yeah. a doctor. Yeah. yeah, and he has autism, right? Yeah, but he's also got a beautiful mind. He actually you know knows his shit. I remember the pilot episode. He has to save a woman by doing surgery with a piece of glass or something. Yeah, so that's not an original from the U.S. It actually, oh, shit. actually stemmed from South Korea. Okay. So the original is The Good Doctor from South Korea in 2013. It was picked up by Daniel Day Kim, right, of Hawaii Five-0. Uh, super, super beautiful Korean-American man, gorgeous man. He picked it up and then, you know, basically got the rights, piled it in the U.S., and it's super, super popular. There was also a Japanese remake of it as well. And with these kinds of shows, it started showing more light on the the idea that, of course, within Asia, mental disorders exist. 
and it should be something that should be talked about as well. I mean, we're finding more and more live action shows that feature these kinds of conditions. Um, for example, like Atypical, um, the show on Netflix about a boy who's growing up with autism. Um, and now it's like you're starting to see more and more characters in like South Korean and Japanese TV shows that also display you know, certain mental disorders, mental conditions as well. But in terms of those kinds of conditions, it's because of the fact that it's 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 visually representative. You can yeah. actually see it's, it, that there's a physical manifestation of like it's very. I wouldn't say it's very obvious, but because it's a spectrum disorder, it's not like a, 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 an all or nothing kind of phenomenon. It's a spectrum, so there's a gradient. You can sometimes you can just in certain severe cases you can see it yeah, ma- like physically. The indications are a little more clear, right? But if someone's you know. If, if someone's been diagnosed with like clinical depression or they do have like frequent anxiety attacks on the surface, it might not look like it. Like someone could be living with depression, but you might look at it. And it's like, you don't have depression. You don't look sad. Right. But there's in those kind of instances. There are no visual cues to really signify if somebody actually is going through a depressive episode or you're or, putting yeah. on a front, right? Yeah. You're wearing a mask, which a lot of people have to do. So I think like the reason why we want to mention and quote unquote, the IRL, not only Asian, but Japanese perspective on mental health is because, well, this is the anime palette, the good anime palette podcast. So, of course, we're going to delve into anime and, and, of course, manga as well. But because this product stems from Japan, a lot of these influences can be seen in anime and manga. And just to add a quick note onto the IRL representations of mental disorders and mental health as well. Whilst, of course, it's great to have that portrayal within you know their forms of media, it doesn't always mean that it is entirely accurate, or at least in my opinion, it feels it's more used in some cases as a plot device right. than actually like trying to focus on the specific issue and giving it like and advocating for more awareness. You know, for example, like with atypical, I have to go back to it just one more time. Sure, atypical. Atypical is, um, you know, about a boy who has autism, but the actor himself doesn't. So he basically learns from the autism society in the U.S. to be able to try and you know pick up on cues on how people live with autism. The first season was trash in terms of how it was represented because one, there was actually no people, there was actually no actors or no people in the show that actually had autism. And in terms of actually reflecting the effects of autism, it seemed that it was just more driving a narrative purpose as opposed to actually talking about the condition itself. And then it improved. After that, they decided to hire new writers. They actually also then employed um, actors from a society that represents um, actors who have autism uh, and actually started featuring them more in the show. And it gained more and more popularity because it became more real. It was less more about a boy who lives with autism, and more a show about autism itself. Right. And let's get into sort of certain things that we feel about anime and manga's portrayal of this. So yeah. So going off of enough, what... Enough of the IRL stuff. Now we're going into the manga and anime. So Will mentioned um, Atypical right now. I mean, we just said we won't mention it, and I'm just mentioning it now, but it's a segue. The sensationalist aspect versus conveying uh, the the condition or disorder as realistic has always been a struggle, not only within anime and manga, obviously, but with IRL. But in this case, as Will mentioned with uh, anime and manga, sometimes it's used as a plot device. So what do I mean? For example, amnesia. That's a very 
common kind of plot device that is always used to kind of wipe, literally wipe the slate clean with a character's memories. There is also, I would say rather, um, and, and this is the clinically uh, clinical term, psychotic behavior. So things like we talk about like yandere's, for example. That is, you know, we call this like, oh, she's a psycho, you know, that kind of thing. And with, with yandere's in particular, we kind of have this thing where it makes it very painfully obvious that there's something not right with this character. But somehow, if I talk about Future Diary and Yuno Gasai, you just be like, yeah, she's dope. And I still think she's okay and kind of dope. And there's other Yandere's that I think are dope. But the fact that I say that is kind of, if you think really think about it, it's kind of messed up to think about. Yeah, we're, 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 we're glorifying a character who essentially exhibits behaviors that are, you know, unfortunately stemming from very, very deep psychological scars, a lot of emotional trauma. Emotional, emotional trauma as well. And therefore, she is you know, mentally unstable, right? Emotionally unstable. And I think it's because of the fact that, you know, we, we watch other aspects of Future Diary that we tend to forget, like, all the dark shit that it actually stemmed from. We glorified the fact that she's, you know, a knife-wielding mad lady who, like, will protect the, the, the one she loves the most and kill anything in front of her. Like, the, the, the action part, that's the spectacle. That's the sensationalism. We like that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do like watching Future Diary. But I also admit, too, that like there are times when you're watching this and you're like, wow, there's a huge problem in terms of liking a character like this. And it's not because she's a bad character. It's because of the conditions that she carries. And we kind of just overlook it because she does some crazy knife-wielding shit. Yeah. Now, does that mean then, therefore, you can only watch the most like, like safe, quote-unquote, safe shows where any portrayal of any of these deviations that are sensationalist or exaggerated are therefore off the table and you should avoid all of that? No, 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 no. The I think what is important to uh, for the perception of the viewer towards the anime and the anime towards the viewer is that it is fictional. And furthermore, you understand the difference. It's like, hey, Will, do you play video games? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I do, I do. Do you uh, play video games where it's like a first-person shooter? Yeah. Do you watch gory, violent anime like Inuyashiki, Last Hero? Yeah. Does that mean you're going to go do those things? No. No. And But do you like kind of more violent, bloody kind of shows? Or at least there was always will be a time and place for that in your anime repertoire, right? Yeah, I mean, like, there's enough people where, like, if you talk about their favorite movies, they'll say, oh, I love the Saw franchise. Yeah. I love Final Destination. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, in this, in essence, gore porn, right? But there, there, there are things that for certain people that they really enjoy, and, you know, there's really no way for us to say, no, it's wrong for you to like that, or, like, what's wrong with you for liking this kind of stuff? Like, it, it, it would be wrong for us to judge people to, who enjoy that kind of medium. I think a very major character that a lot of people tend to reference is L from Death Note. I think that this character, a lot of people glorify a lot, and this person is perceived as a genius, but also extremely, and I mean extremely eccentric and socially withdrawn. But I have I have literally met people who have said L is super hot, super cool. I mean, how many Halloween cosplays have you seen of L? 
I've seen way too many. Right. But then at the same time, these people would then actually look at someone who exhibits characteristics of L in real life and being like, shun them. And obviously, this is a kind of a very harsh take towards that person. It's a very specific take. It's too, a very yeah. specific take too. But it does come to mind that what you see versus what it is, as long as you can perceive the difference, it's okay. I mean, that's kind of how we, we, we were talking about how, like, portrayals of these conditions, portrayal of these illnesses, it, it can come across as, as just a plot device sometimes. Like, we, we, we never know what the intentions of the authors or the creators are when creating a character who has said conditions or illnesses. But I think because of the fact that we as consumers, and I'm not saying, like, we do it all the time, but sometimes we do, we, we tend to focus on, you know, the, 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 the bigger picture. And sometimes it just does mean that some things fall by the wayside. So, yes, L in essence, is a very withdrawn and actually very emotionally tragic character. But because of how he is portrayed in terms of, you know, stand, like, uh, like doing the squat, yeah. squat the squat in the chair, the way he, he plays with his sugar cubes and his tea and his yep, coffee and all yep. that, and his hairstyle and all that, it, I get that. That's the whole point in trying to market a show, market a series, because you want to be able to show off something that is quote-unquote cool. That's good character design as well, right? Will, speaking of amnesia, for example, do you think Golden Time, if you were to take out the amnesia part, if you could even say that, would it affect the the overall enjoyment or lack thereof of the show? I, I think they would have to play up other aspects of the show but i also wouldn't be too it wouldn't be a huge remiss i I think that they could actually move past having amnesia in the show and just focus on the emotional side of the series but would you say amnesia plays a pivotal role rather than it it could be like started as a plot device it would be two different stories i see yeah okay okay yeah but but you see that goes to show how something could be a plot device but as long as it is not just like a one-off thing, you kind of explore it, you kind of figure things out and evolve that plot device so that instead of a trope, it becomes a, a persona of the anime. I mean, you, you talked about Yandere's earlier, right? Let's talk about Kudere's or even Dandere's as well, right? Characters who tend to be a little bit more withdrawn, sometimes exhibit like difficulties socializing with people or just generally like being very cold and distant from characters or not being able to interact with characters sometimes like i i would say that some of my favorite characters are kudere's your favorite characters some of the times are kudere's i, 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 I would say i, I, that, I love kudere's I, I would say s tier kudere's but like do you feel that like because of the fact that they have that allure of being cool and distant that it makes them more attractive and makes it easier for you to appreciate them or do you feel that like without that element you would still like that character are you psychoanalyzing my taste in 2d waifus i'm trying to sigmund freud you shit all right um do you have a oedipus complex or oedipus uh, uh, or, electra or, or, is the yeah. other is, is the polar opposite yeah we but, will go into later on no, actually okay yeah okay Ooh, it depends okay. If, we're, if we're talking about that one specific series we're gonna have to talk a little bit about it sure okay so to answer your question will about the queer race I just like kind of, oh, it's a very complex issue. But if I have to distill it in like literally 10 seconds, it's because the contrast between what the Kudere looks and acts versus how they truly feel is extremely different. 
such that when the literally uh, will I remember you made a good pun about uh, the coup, the cracking of the egg. Yeah. Um, I I think that when the sh- when the glove when the shell you know breaks apart and you see the gooey center, the cooey center is what you said. Um, I just like that. I just feel that that's an extremely rewarding kind of experience, not only for the characters in the anime or in the manga, but also just as a viewer. But in a way, it's also like you know seeing these characters going through, I guess, like mental conditioning, like improvements towards their mental health, therefore able to overcome certain anxieties that hold them back from being able to socialize, being able to interact with characters. Like that's the kind of development we it's like actual to see. character development. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, this doesn't mean that this is like clinically proven like therapy for all characters, for all people who have, you know, social anxieties and depressions, right? We're not saying that like, oh, you just need some guy to warm your heart up and then you'll be like, you know, socially open. That That's not it at all. Again, no. These are all works of fiction, right? Right. But it is nice to see that like when someone who clearly is like exhibiting behaviors that are, you know, showing like a, a deteriorating mental condition and then to see them actually improve and open up. We've seen that in, in a lot of anime that have kudere's in it. And it, it, it's one of the, it, it's really weird to say rewarding because it's like rewarding somebody to be. Like, to I would be say mis- it's a contrast, right? Yeah. And and when you see the contrast, you generally perceive growth of any kind, being able to open up, being able to communicate with others. I think in general, everyone sees that as a positive. And when you make it extra apparent, the before and the after, it just makes it very obvious for people to understand rather than having to get into the intricacies of the of the human and 2D psyche. Yeah. So I think, you know, we we don't want to go that deep into yeah, the whole no. dairy type thing because no, 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 you know no, no, it's no. like yeah, we, we we talked about yandere's, we talked about kudere's and there are, you know, they do exhibit certain conditions that would lead to, you know, potentially mental trauma, uh mental anxieties, psychological anxieties. Um but again, that's also not like an all-encompassing thing either. These are all essentially part of that same umbrella that we wanted to try and these sort of had the discussion about. Um so we, we we wanted to sort of go over certain series um, that actually talk a lot about these kinds of uh, these these mental conditions, mental illnesses. Um, but before we even get into any of that, we have to. I, I guess we we should talk about the granddaddy of mental trauma, right? Anime and manga. So I think Neon Genesis Evangelion is probably one of the most classic examples of deterioration and the breaking of the human mind and psyche. When, uh, when trauma reaches a breaking point, right? Yes. And uh, whether I'm talking about the remakes, which I have not watched yet, and or talking about the OG series, Shinji is just, man, if I could give this guy a hug... I'll probably give this guy a hug. I would probably. I mean, you would also want to give hugs to Asuka and Rei as well. Actually, all the characters are fundamentally broken in some way. And it is really fucked up because you have this very obvious physical thing in front of you in terms of like, then there are the the mechas, then there are like the monsters and everything. And then there are like the the pain thing of like when the robot, when the mecha is destroyed. The 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 Evas and the angels. Yep. But they do spend a considerable, and I mean a considerable amount of time, 
talking about how these people's minds slowly unravel. And I think there's a very well-known scene that takes place in an elevator. And it is Asuka and Ray just in an elevator. And I oh, spoilers, all... Spoilers, by the way, but it's been out for 30 years. So. I just remember that scene very, very vividly. And obviously, I remember Shinji kind of putting his hand in his head. He, she, he wasn't in the elevator. But I just remember all these still images or scenes of just human nothingness or human I wouldn't say going clinically insane but like losing their minds in a way yeah and, and that's I mean it's no secret as well that the creator of uh NGE Neon Genesis Evangelion Hideki Anno himself was actually you know producing the series whilst also going through his own depressions as well he had been very much burnt out and depressed from a previous project he worked on. And then he was given the opportunity to work on and, and create uh, Evangelion. And throughout the whole process, throughout the whole creation of, the, I think, 25 episodes? 26 episodes. Well, it depends if you count the end. The last two? And yeah. Those, yeah. Well, it's a, which is, just, which is say really th- good. Let's just say throughout the whole series, right? He had been going through many issues in terms of fallout, falling out with staff, in terms of not having enough staff working with him, in terms of, I guess, as well, you know, very, very um, panning feedback from fans as well. You know, it was essentially him trying to not just deal with his own demons, his own issues, but also having to face the criticism of other people as a result of what he was creating whilst having these conditions as well. And so, therefore, it's like when you're watching Evangelion, you are not just watching a show that is about, you know, the human condition and talking about all the different philosophies that guide people's lives and then also watching, you know, awesome like mechas like fighting each other. You're also watching like this from the mind of Anno as well because throughout that whole process he was always just trying to figure out what his own purpose was, what he really wanted to do, whilst also hating a lot of the things that was not just around him, but also within him as well. I mean, to be fair, the last two episodes, which I think is called The End, um, it wasn't released till way later and actually wasn't supposed to be made. But because of the backlash that literally everyone under the sun gave Anno, Anno's like, well, you know what? Fuck you. I'm just going to give you the ending that you want, but also not at the same time. And guess what? It was, in my opinion, really, really well done. But I also admit that it was the biggest fuck you to all, quote unquote, all the haters. A little well. backhand slap to all the fans that were just like piling on the hate for him, right? Right. And so, like, we may do like a, you know, a show that's specifically on mechas at some point in the future. But like, if we were to talk about Evangelion, like, I probably wouldn't even classify it as a mecha. It would be weird to say that, to say that because it, the, the centerpiece itself are the, the Avas and the angels that they fight. I think it's psychological. Really, it really is so psychological. It's, it's a masterpiece in terms of unraveling the mind, in terms of how we deal with trauma, how we face up issues that we can't battle on our own, but at the same time lack the drive to be able to reach out for help as well. Each character fundamentally, from um, from, from Rei to Asuka to, to, um, to Shinji, so all the people that you know are also side characters within the show, they they all have something that's missing from them. And we, when when the series starts developing, it starts deep diving into these issues. It starts, in a way, exploiting them as well because we start seeing more and more raw emotion. We start seeing people who are 
reacting um, on, on reflex and not necessarily thinking. It's it's always kind of or they snap. It, it's that it's that constant battle between logic and emotion, and because of the fact that their 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 state of mind is consistently deteriorating throughout the series, you start seeing people exhibiting more fight or flight. You know, you start seeing people that when they reach their breaking point, they literally just shut down and can no longer do anything because there's no meaning to what they do anymore. There's nothing left for them to look for. And in the end, like because they are just pawns in a mobile suit fighting for something they no longer either believe in or no longer feel that they're worth fighting for, then what is their purpose in the end? Right. So we talked about the mind unraveling, but Will, what, what happens when someone has what we call multiple minds, multiple identities? Ah. I think um, what we're referring to here is formally known as multiple personality disorder, but nowadays is known as disassociative identity disorder, which is... DID, yeah. Which is, as the name implies, a person having multiple personas or personalities who are either aware of each other's existence or are unaware of each other's existence. And even though um, this is about anime and manga, live action does it all the time and sensationalize all of this, right? And sure, you could say that, well, then what about anime and manga? How many times, I think there was, um, there's a character in Air Gear, who is a, which is like based off of a manga by O Great, where there's this character who wears like an eye bandage. And literally, when this person's eye bandage flips sides, the character becomes the polar opposite of what it was. There's like a good side, an angel and a demon. And that kind of change gives off of this, oh, this is like quirky or this is like kind of funny. And I'm not saying that you can't find humor in all of this. It is using it as a trope, using it as a plot device or a shtick of this character that, to be honest, and this is coming from someone who actually doesn't really know that much about dissociative identity disorder, is a really crazily complex disorder, and I don't even know where to even begin to talk about it at an academic level. I mean, there's also a character in Summertime Render. Um, oh, really? Yeah, later on when they show up. But it felt a bit more like a plot device, unfortunately. Um, but at the same time, right? Like the fact that there is like a series that's showcasing a bit more. You know, we're we're starting to see more and more series, especially within anime and manga, um, that is sort of more broaching that topic. But this actually kind of like more goes into like the the progression of anime and manga now, right? Because during the '90s, we had a lot of series that were very much focused on like the philosophies of the world and the human condition, the human mind. I mean, like there's no, nothing further than Ghost in the Shell and Neon Genesis Evangelion, right? Like where do belong? Where do we belong in the pantheon of time, right? right? Yeah, like, like instrumentality and all that. You know what the what the greater purpose of human life is? Am I still a human when pretty much none of my body is human? Right. Right. Or even then, it's like. What is the point in living if everybody else has their own purposes and their purposes will get in my way, right? Like, should we not all just come together and try and work together as one common good? And then at that point, then do you, does that mean that you also get rid of your own humanity 
by joining like the whole greater good like it's it's that constant battle between what you think you should do and what people expect for you to do when it clashes together it it starts exposing holes within your mind and actually like that, those are the kind of like shows that you saw a lot of during the 90s and early 2000s but not not necessarily as much now I don't know. It's because of the fact that you know back then there was a lot more experimentation within anime and manga, as as opposed to like also like seeing a lot of more art house, more sort of left field live action series and and movies as well. But nowadays it feels like is is it just because of the fact that there's the the anime and manga landscape is so much bigger that there's a lot more stuff to watch and it's like less room for people to be a little bit more avant garde, a little bit more experimental. I think social anxiety or uh, like anxiety inducing mental disorders have actually been i would say relatively prevalent in the past like 10 years or so so for example i would name off a couple examples the obvious one nowadays would be comey can't communicate that one is played in a light-hearted way but if you think about it it's actually really difficult for uh shoko comey to be able to even say stuff and yes, it is a very heartfelt, wholesome show, but that show in of itself is full of people with, whether it is phobias or mental conditions that are played off in a quirky, but sometimes realistic and wholesome way. It really like strikes the line very, very well. I would say another show that a lot of people tend to forget as like something to do with social anxiety is Yuri on Ice. So Which every, I haven't watched it. Right. But Yuri on Ice, everyone knows it as the gay figure skating anime. And act, yes, it's very true. That is what Yuri on Ice is. But in the very, very beginning, the male main character goes through like this social pressure of being able to compete, being able to have to achieve greatness and being number one. And then the ramifications of not achieving that or kind of achieving that or not being able to win a hundred percent and then considering it well then i might as well have a complete zero percent win because if it's not a hundred percent it's zero and this person going through a lot of social like issues with himself sometimes not even because of uh, any one person but more of what he thinks society would do to him if they were to know of his issues or accolades or lack thereof and that's where like a lot of the issues of social anxiety stem from as well right not being able to communicate with others to voice out your concerns and your emotions therefore you let that fester within yourself but because you don't have any outside help you don't have a second voice to talk to you through talk you through all these emotions you're left to your own demons you're left to your own devices to interpret what those emotions are and therefore it's like in, in this case if you're nice it's like if you never really talk to anybody about your own issues and your anxieties you're left to have that within yourself. You put so much more pressure because that's what you think other people would think of you. That's what you think people expect of you. Right. I think one of the most, I would say, crowd-pleasing or easily accessible anime about social anxiety or nervousness stems from an anime called Hitori Bochi, which is about a girl called Hitori or all known as Bochi, who she has such a big issue trying to deal with making friends. Kind of sounds like Komi can't communicate, but 
you actually see her go through certain things. For example, and I'll just spoil just a little bit. She would spend an exuberant amount of time just trying to say hello to someone who said hello to her yesterday. So then she was like, okay, okay, I'm going to say hello. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to walk up to her and I'm going to say hello. And then the day came. She walks and then she kind of says, and then just runs away. So she kind of did it. And then she went into the bathroom and celebrated like as if she just ran a fucking marathon. But and yes, it has played off a little bit like endearing, wholesome and kind of comedic. But the overall kind of sentiment of sometimes a half step is still a step and there are non-zero days or there are there's a moment when she actually makes some friends and they come over to her house. She gets super nervous. So then when, what does she do? She resorts to wearing this bear costume and she wears it all day because it gives her like an armor, like a, a physical manifestation of her security. And when her friends are like, yo, you know, like we good, like you don't need to wear it. And she's just like, no, 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 no. I need it for myself. And it is played off as a kind of like a playful way. But when you think about it, people have defense mechanisms, people have to resort to that because that's their anchor. And I think Hitori Bochi is one of those shows that is a very slice of life show about a girl with social anxiety and couldn't make friends and antisocial behavior. But it's done in a way that is kind of cute and also very real. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I was talking about like the, the mental conditions and sort of illnesses that were covered during the 90s and what we see nowadays in anime and manga, I think it's quite clear that a lot of the stuff that we see now that does focus on those conditions usually would center around depression and social anxieties right yeah so i think like for example if we talk back on to like ghost in the shell and also talking about evangelion mm-hmm. a lot of times when like analyzing anxiety and depression it was more stemming from like philosophical perspectives right talking about existential dread about nihilism about you know the fear of reaching or even like the fear of the purpose of life itself whereas now it actually is just more like focused on the condition of the human mind and not necessarily going into philosophical deep dives yeah and i also think that going off of our sensationalist versus our realistic take i think a lot of the shows that we have mentioned like uh that are like made back in the day are very obvious very non-subtle about how the character is feels at that time. But nowadays, a lot of subtlety is actually commended and is, in fact, for us at least, it's good to have subtlety. Sometimes it's good to be very heavy-handed, but most of the time I would prefer something being subtle. Not so in your face. Not right? so in your face. And I think... Like, here is a character that has depression. Check him out. It's like, no, dude, like that, that actually sounds like a terrible idea. And let's start with probably one of the most memorable shows of recent memory that deals with depression and purpose, which is March Comes In Like a Lion. You ready for this, Will? Yeah. So. Yeah, so I watched the first episode. No, not the first episode. I watched the first season of it. That is the first. The first episode is in the first season, though. Yeah. But there's also the first episode in the second season. Oh, shit. You're right. Which would actually be the 23rd episode. Fuck. Okay. Never mind. So, um, watching March Comes Along. So, so, first of all, done by Shaft. Very, very, very beautiful. I don't care what people say about character designs. It's a very gorgeous show. I really will give them like a 10 out of 10 on that part. 
but it focuses on a character that is a very good shogi player um very very like child prodigy at this point yeah right but he also exhibits a lot of characteristics of someone who is very not not socially withdrawn but finds it hard to emotionally connect with people um and more specifically emotionally connect with oneself right and i think one of the most very in fact it is so tragically beautiful is when ray i think his name is ray right r-e-i he wakes up from his sleep or nap and it is just like it's not even like a futon or not even like um like the 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 things that uh like a bed on the ground it's just a mattress on the the ground yeah or or and then like a sheet and then he looks out the window the balcony and it is just this beautiful blue sky with a few clouds but it it looks so gorgeous but then you look inside his apartment and And it is so drab it's bare like there's absolutely like no furniture whatsoever. I think he opens the fridge and there's just water inside tea as well, right? Something like that. Tea yeah. and all that. Like he just eats instant food. He doesn't like. It, it's clear at this point that whilst this character is a prodigy at what he does, he also doesn't necessarily know how well to take care of himself. But it also stems from a lot of past traumas, past histories that to this day like he still very much lives with and doesn't necessarily know how to process and that's like the whole journey of march comes in like a line at least from what i saw in the first season is essentially a whole introspective like monologue of what ray goes through on a day-to-day basis trying to find his reason for existence and whether what he does actually serves a purpose beyond just enjoying the fact that he can do really well in shogi competitions and it's it's a really beautifully told story now i will say though that you know with the first season it's it feels like it's kind of like just on the surface you don't really deep dive that much into specific characters depressions and issues but i feel like that's where the second season comes in and i'll, I'll yes. leave that to, to jason to go over because he has watched everything in completion well at least the two seasons until they, the third season comes out right they, they, they need to make a third season please uh, the second season is so raw, and re- I don't even know how to begin to describe. Because you get like just you get a taste of it. Like yeah. there are times where it's like it's not like tear jerking moments in season one, but you're like, damn, this person is going through the motions right now. I would say, what did you give season one? I, I gave it a seven. I gave it, I think. Oh shit! No. I think I think you gave it a seven as well. Let me let me let yeah. Me, let me. So like the, the reason why I gave it a seven, right? Like overall, like the the story is is good. The art is great, and I think that the character designs and the character creations themselves were also very well done. The only issue I have with it is I felt that the whole first season of March Kim's Like a Lion is made to essentially like accentuate the the, the rawness of season two, and right. you could you could see from the score disparity as well. It's like the first season was like an eight point three two, eight point three nine, and then the second season is eight point eight point nine five. That is correct. Yeah. Rank thirteen. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So, I gave I double checked earlier. Will I gave season one a seven? Yeah. I gave season two a nine, and to be honest, I couldn't give it a ten. It's a nine point five though, and the reason why I think season two is so good is first off, it started to talk less about Ray. And more about the people around him, but how it also connects to Ray himself. So it's not just a one-man show, so to speak, but also you see different aspects. Like, for example, they focus on his uh, chubby friend. 
and that one episode is done I so love that well. Guy, by the way, I love him. Then you will love the journey that he goes through in season two. They talk about this really gloomy, drab kind of like a salary man who happens to be really good at, at, at shogi and his transformation and that is like done so well then there is the middle sister of the three sisters and that that her story probably is the most infuriating feeling i've ever felt on behalf of a 2d anime character and it really really impacted not only like how I think about Marsh Comes in Like a Lion season two, but also made me really assess like how I would do in that situation, how I perceive that situation to be, or how, you know, when I was a teenager, how that situation would play out. And all of that, it was, it was so, I don't know, it really made me think. Like, not even like, oh, that was cool. Like, actually think beyond the quality of the anime and almost into, again, even though you said we, we they veer away from it, the kind of existentialism, like identity, like society, like all these grand ideas, like these really hard-hitting ideas. And it's all done because technically it's about a guy who is kind of a doom and gloom guy who really is good at, show, at shogi. Yeah, so I got a lot of look forward to in, uh, in season two. And uh, hopefully, as Jason said, uh, season three will come out as well. Um, so, I, I would I would give March March, uh, March comes in like a lion a, a good recommend to to watch. Not because of the fact that it is a beautifully done anime by Shaft, but because I mean it is. But that, that not only that, right? But we always want to try and see the story that's told from the main character and not necessarily a narration from the outside. The fact that this is an introspective monologue based on the everyday life of Ray, where he has to live with the fact that he is an amazing Shogi player, but with that also creates a lot of vision, like a lot of the, a lot of issues within his family, within his relationships, within his perspective of the world. Uh, And that then plays an effect on his psyche it it just it's it's a really beautifully told story and i i i hope that whilst i got like a very very sort of like brief te- uh, taste of it uh in season 1 i hope that they really fully explore it in season 2 and as jason said they do that so i really want to see it all unfold and have the story told in in full so i will just say this about uh season 2 of march comes in like a lion and this is not a spoiler this is something that will be painfully obvious to you as time goes on is that when the anime focuses less on Ray, Ray focuses less on himself and starts to actually care and help or think about everyone around him. And that change is so beautiful. And the process that all these characters go through, while tragic for some, while infuriating for others, is so well done that. I gave it a 9.5. That's how much... And this is me giving a season one a seven, just like you did. Like, season two is such a big difference. And season one, by any means, is not a bad anime. No, it's not. It's not a bad season. It's just that I felt that it's a combination of everything that makes the second season... That that should make season two good. Do you know how crazy I went down this rabbit hole? Was I kind of convinced myself that the reason why season one is quote-unquote bad or worse than season two is because... 
they are trying to emulate the depressive nature or the drab nature or the monotone nature. And I don't know if this is actually true. I just somehow convinced myself that, oh, you have to... Season one is like the black and white version, and then season two is the colored version. When the sun finally starts shining, right? Yeah, something like that. Like I was, I'm still convinced to a certain degree, like that is done on purpose, even though it's not really. I don't think. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a good interpretation, right? I mean, right. most most of the time, like anime, like it's up to you in terms of how you want to perceive it. All right. Well, but we, so but, we yeah, so we talked about like Evangelion, talked about Hiro Bochi, Kobe uh, can't communicate as well as March Kim's like a lion. So. It was about social anxiety and trauma, yeah. then mixed with depression, right? But what happens when you take both of these facets and push it to 11 in terms of its severity? You get a phenomenon that is prevalent a lot in Japanese culture and also is becoming more prevalent nowadays, known as the hikikomori uh, social issue. Or neat. Or neat. And you know what neat stands for? It's like not educated. Not in education, employment, or training. Right. So essentially a hermit, socially withdrawn, kind of like, I think like nowadays there's a movement called like lying flat or like the anti-work movement. Yeah. But this is not just that, but even more severe because these people... Who have I don't want to say these people, but people who are afflicted with this issue don't even step out of their home. Some of them don't even step out of their room. And these are what a lot of people outside would call it social outcasts. Yeah. But yeah, so So we don't want to go over like the whole Hikikomori uh phenomena. We also don't want to just class Hikikomori as a, a mental condition, a mental disorder, because not every person who decides to become a hikikomori or goes through a hermit phase uh, is is down to having you know mental issues or conditions. It could also just be societal. It could just be um, just different. Like it could, it could be economic. It could just be like more on the not necessarily pertaining to just pure mental reasons. Right. And mental like, because some hikikomoris do it voluntarily, do it willingly, while a lot of people. Do not. They wish they weren't like that. They want to do better. They just couldn't. Yeah. And so, this is, as you said, it's a mixture of a lot of anxieties, depressions. Um, it's it uh, just it, it, the inability to express and receive emotion and communicate with people. So, Will, um, this issue is very prevalent, right? So, is there an anime that talked about this? Very much so. Well, it started off as a novel series and then had a manga adaptation and then afterwards then had a anime adaptation. We're talking about Welcome to the NHK. Now, as in the network, this is not the this is not uh, NHK as in like the the news agency in Japan. We're talking about NHK which is the Nihon Hikikomori Kyodai. Okay. So, it's uh it's a really really beautiful story but what I, what I mean beautiful i mean that it is told in a very subtle way the the whole premise of welcome to the hk is based on a character named sato who because of the fact that after graduating from high school he decided he, he always grew to be quite socially withdrawn he always felt that 
he had a relatively more. Ooh, there's a little. Crack Oops, sorry. Yeah. No, no, that was me adjusting my mic. Yeah. So um, there was um, he, he was going through a phase in high school where he started feeling a little bit more nihilistic. He always felt that you know, what's the point in trying so hard when there's always going to be someone that's better than you, or when there is going to be no real purpose as to trying hard in the first place? And why don't and, you just like like you said, why don't you just why not just lay flat? And I think that kind of sentiment is echoed in like modern times in like our generation onwards right sorry like readjusting my chair like how in at least in hong kong how difficult it is to own an apartment forget about house okay own an apartment or being able to have the same standard of living that our parents had or something like that right so i understand that that it's a very uh modern issue as well yeah so the story of Welcome to NHK is told through the eyes of not just one character, but actually every character that exists within Welcome to NHK. So very much you're introduced to Sato, who from the get-go has decided to take up the hikikomori lifestyle, right? He's a college dropout, doesn't have a job, lives off of an allowance that his parents give him on a, you know, a monthly allowance, and just doesn't really do all that much. But he doesn't go outside either because he feels that if he goes outside, people are going to stigmatize him. Oh, look at this guy. You know, he's in his 20s. Oh, he's didn't, a loser. Didn't finish college. Everybody thinks he's useless. He's just a dog. Has no, no contribution to society whatsoever. If I go outside, people are going to laugh, laugh at me. People are going to like ridicule me. I don't want that. I don't want to be out there where people can look at me and just straight up call me, you know, a worthless piece of crap. I just going to stay inside, be safe, and just do whatever I want. But as you start like seeing him interact with neighbors, interact with strangers, quote unquote friends that show up along the way, you start seeing that these issues don't necessarily just stick with somebody who has chosen a lifestyle to be socially withdrawn and to be like going through depressive cycles on a daily basis. You then start seeing characters who might not have any like clinically diagnosed disorders or conditions but rather than just you know seeing someone looking be like all all happy-go-lucky you actually see that deep down they also have societal pressures family pressures change of environments situations where the characters themselves may not seem to realize that they actually have depression or social anxieties or any other disorders or like deteriorating mental conditions it's the fact that whenever you see a character, it's on a very, very prevalent, like daily basis. It's on a very, very like surface level that everybody exhibits a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety. That the show itself is is gorgeous and beautiful, but it's also a very, very tough anime to recommend because of how real and how hard hitting it is. Right. I remember like when you were talking to me about wanting to check it out and then after hearing my sort of like brief synopsis and brief sort of feelings about it, you were like, hmm, this, this might be something that is a bit too much for me to get into right now. And I can understand this is not as necessarily a show for everybody. It, it, it can be very triggering for some. It can also be a bit too real. For some as well and it's, it's it's because of the fact that it covers a lot of different conditions and a lot of different situations that makes it incredibly relatable the fact that like it's a there's like, a random bystander in the series that also goes through like their own motions of mental health and mental deteriorating conditions 
it's a very sad anime. Right. It's a very sad series. Now, this is, of course, the anime series. It actually is a little bit more watered down compared to the manga and the novel. Um, reason being, there are certain topics within the novel that had to be completely left out because if you want to air on Japanese TV, you can't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, specifically, like, there there are mentions of characters who go into drug abuse, and right. that's why. That's, oh shit! And that's like one thing that you Ooh. absolutely cannot talk about when you're trying to broadcast an anime on TV, especially when young impressionable children and teenagers are watching. You so, know? um, the only thing that I remember of Welcome to the NHK, which by the way I haven't really watched to any good capacity is that there is a magical girl of some sort that somehow poodoo, poodoo, poodoo is like not real, but then kind of becomes a bit more real, kind of, but not in like the fantastical way, but more in like a ment. I don't, I don't know. I'm it's just- a conspiracy from the NHK to be able to get weebs and um, like just otakus to stay indoors, spend all their money and never go outside. The NHK is a conspiracy. (laughs) I'm sorry, what did you say? That's what the NHK is, right? And I I don't want to spoil much about it because the the significance of the letters NHK actually have different meanings based on each character that you see. Because now, for example, if if you talk about Sato, the main character in this, his issue with the NHK is that it is the Nihon Kyodai, Hikikomori Kyodai. Hikikomori being the H. However, when you were to say NHK to any other character within the series, the H has a different meaning. It represents a different insecurity. It represents a different condition that they go through. And so that's what I felt was like really beautiful, but also very tragic about Welcome to NHK because it's not just one character trying to go through the motions of life. It's also every character trying to deal with their own demons, their own insecurities, their own depressions. And that's where it kind of gets scary about Welcome to NHK. It gets a bit too real sometimes where I was just seeing some characters and I'm like, I have gone through exactly what that character has gone through. Like, I, I, I'm not I'm not like afraid to say it to myself as well. I've had, you know, mental lapses myself. I've had to seek therapy and I've had to reach out to people to be able to at least express some of the insecurities and depressions that I've had. And, you know, luckily since then I've been able to at least recover my mental states and, you know, live a much more sort of a comfortable and easier life. But at the same time, it's, I still have those thoughts. I still have to reach out to people and voice things out because the last thing I want to do is to just only have those negative thoughts in my own head and cycle through them without being able to process it in a healthy way. Right. Um, 24 episodes. Um, okay, okay. 2006, I think. 2006, yeah. So would, you, so would it be fair to say that Welcome to the NHK is not an anime for everybody, but it is an important anime? That if at some point you want to check out, that I think you should. It's, it's, it's very much like a realistic representation because it doesn't use mental disorders and mental health as a plot device. Rather, it is a theme throughout the whole series for each character because each character has their own interpretations of what it means to be mentally health, healthy, what it means to be in a condition where you are... You, you can operate quote unquote normally, and that, that's what I, 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 that's what I really like about Welcome to Nature. I gave it a nine out of ten in the end. Right, and I think it because like it doesn't do anything egregious with any of the disorders that are mentioned in the show. It doesn't make it seem like 
oh, no, this is a cool person who has, you know, social anxieties and they're like very distant, but it also makes them a badass and all that. No, it's like it shows that the characters are very weak. It shows that the characters need help, but at the same time, because of how weak they are, they don't know how to get that help or they just don't want help because for them, they just feel that it's futile. It's again, it's it's that dread, that nihilistic approach to a lot of things where sometimes like if there's an option at the end to just end everything for certain characters, they may take that leap because what is there to fight for if it means failure at the end anyway? It was a story that, for me, like I, I, I don't have any, like, clinically diagnosed conditions. But at the same time, like I've exhibited conditions that are similar to people who would have diagnosed conditions. And the more I watched Welcome to NHK, the more it felt raw and real. And I have to admit, there are times after watching it that I just felt really empty. I felt really lonely at times. And like, the characters like are are very much real representations of. Not just people I know, but the people I've seen on TV, people I've read about in the news. It's it doesn't shy away from the fact that the mental conditions that the characters go through very much exist, especially within the, the context of Japan. It's a very real situation, and that to have at least more visibility on it, it can only help to at least showcase more of what we can do to help people with these conditions, or at least how to understand and relate to the people who have these kinds of conditions. I, I would recommend if you're ready to watch Welcome to the NHK. I would shy away from the novel and the manga versions because the 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 novel version is a bit too real, and the and the manga version is a little bit too too real. Oh, what? Yes, uh, I will explain off air because I feel like if I go into it, it might actually spoil a lot of things. Uh, spoiler alert, though. Uh, so the the creator of Welcome to NHK. So remember, this is a novel. It was also a. Um, so the a source is a novel. Yep. First it came out as a novel. Then it also came out as a manga, and then it also came out as a um, a, a a anime. Uh, so the creator of it, uh, I think his name is Tatsu, Tatsuhiko uh, Takemoto. Um, this is where it actually got really, really real for me because. After the success of the novel, the anime, the manga, and the anime, uh, he uh, actually started like updating um, on Twitter. Not on Twitter. Uh, he actually started like posting like afterwards, like you know, through through like uh, manga magazines and all that, talking about how actually he because of the success of the of, of the manga and the anime, it actually drove him harder and harder into his hikikomori lifestyle. Right, and it actually felt that actually in the end like he felt kind of useless because he was just living off of the NHK royalties and that he didn't need to, he didn't leave his house he didn't write anything he didn't do anything for several years afterwards and he felt incredibly lonely but also fine to be socially withdrawn now to give a positive update he's still he's actually doing a lot better now he's a lot more active he's still writing he's written several novels since then uh, he also has a Instagram page very reactive on that. We might actually link that onto the episode notes later on as well. Dope. He, he actually, he, I think he posted an update that he was writing something new yesterday. So I'm glad to hear and glad to say that he's doing well. So thank you very much for introducing the world to Welcome to HK. That's Yiko. I hope you're doing well. And I really do look forward to reading more of your novels as soon as you get translated to English. All right. So I am going to have 
I wouldn't say a recommendation because it, uh, it doesn't feel right, but I want to talk about a manga series that resonated with me significantly. So um, personally, like this is me, Jason, saying this. I have uh, been diagnosed with certain mental disorders and I take medications every day for it. I won't say which ones they, they are, but it is an ongoing process for me pretty much for the rest of my life. And there was a manga series that I read that blew my mind in terms of how accurately it can convey. I think you started reading this like six months ago, right? I would say even longer, I think. But somewhere there, which is, um, and I'm trying to, it's uh, the English title is called That's My Atypical Girl, which is a manga uh, written by Sa. Sohachi Hagimoto, and it the art is done by Renji Morita. I won't say the Japanese name because it's a bit n- not PC, but the story is about this guy called Yokoi Taku, who is a doujin artist, but he's kind of like a hikikomori, not very sociable, very withdrawn, and he likes ha- making doujins that are the things that he likes to talk about. So rather than the conventional stuff, he likes to talk about like trauma, mental conditioning and things like that. But unfortunately, there aren't a lot of people that would buy it because, you know, it's kind of a drab subject. It is a very heavy subject. And at the end of the day, not a lot of people are necessarily receptive of that. So he has to earn money on the side by doing, I guess, some more crowd-pleasing kind of um doujins but at the end of the day every once in a while he always comes back to having releasing doujins that are about mental trauma one day out of nowhere um a girl called megumi sato shows up and she has been buying his doujins about these mental traumas since the beginning and is basically one of his biggest fans and it talks about have her having issues, a lot of which are shown in the manga in its entirety. And it just talks about these two characters not only trying to learn from each other and live with each other, but also trying to navigate society. And then they meet new people, each with their own problems. And uh, it's just like their journey. I think there are a total of 12 volumes for 100 chapters. And I think maybe... I remember I have the fifth English volume, which is published by Kodansha. This manga is so real that it really made me question. Like, it, it, like I was reading it, and I think, well, well, right, I was circling stuff, and I was sending you images. It's like, dude, how do they know? How do they know that it feels like this? Or like... Bro, I can. I need to put it down. I need to chill for a bit. Like, fuck, dude. Like, this is. Oh, Jesus, shit. But it's also at the same time extremely well done. Um, they go through the characters go through certain issues and how they deal with it and whether or not that's it's right or wrong, and how most of the time there is no right or wrong. It's just different. And um, I really like this manga a lot. It is very heavy, similar to Welcome to the NHK, but it deals with it in such a mature and straightforward way 
doesn't glorify it, doesn't dramatize it. It's not sensational. It's just as it is because as it is is very genuine and real and is done very well in my opinion. So, again, it's weird to call them recommendations, but if you wanted to, you know, go over anime and manga series that discuss and also go over mental conditions, mental health, mental illnesses, I think there are a lot of resources that people can get into. And again, we're not like necessarily recommending these based on like the accolades and like, you know, how good the shows are. What we wanted to essentially highlight these series were for was just that they're very realistic rep- representations of like contemporary like mental disorders and mental conditions that you know to this day a lot of people would go through now and so it's it's it, we, we also want to at least you know let everyone know that whilst we we want to highlight these issues we also know that it's not necessarily an easy issue for a lot of people to talk to so you know i know that there's going to be like a mental health month or a mental health week coming up uh in the next month but I also feel like it's not necessary to have a month dedicated specifically to these disorders, rather that these should be things that we talk about on a daily basis. We should be able to highlight them, discuss them, and not be afraid to share them, especially if the purpose of it is to seek help or to help someone. So you know, hopefully you know, you take something from this episode. Again, if you ever felt that you know maybe we stepped out of line or we weren't representing certain things perfectly we do apologize and we will be very happy to open up a discussion with you or maybe you know respond to some messages about what could have been done better like what we should have highlighted more or maybe what what more we can talk about in terms of this specific field of mental disorders and conditions because this topic is not only a topic that will and i feel very passionate about but it is also a topic that needs to be navigated and addressed in a very correct and sensitive manner. So we just want to, at least with this episode at least, bring to light some of the things that anime and manga have, in our minds at least, done it in a well-deserved way in conveying these things and conveying these ideas and uh, conditions and disorders and also highlight the fact that there's a lot of growing and development that needs to be done, not just for anime and manga, but just media in general for mental disorders such that just because it is done in, and, and sort of regarded as a serious subject now compared to what it was before, and the fact that we're raising, that people can, be, you know, there's raising awareness and socially being accepted more so than before as will mentioned there is no kind of time of the month where you should just focus on mental health it should be every day every moment if possible because mental health is important anything you want to say will before i get into housekeeping no i think that um you know we 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 wanted to have more of these kinds of conversations because it it's it, we we watch anime and manga as a way to sort of escape reality sometimes yeah, we, and, want, we want to at least you know disassociate ourselves from hardships and be able to enjoy some of the the finer things in life yeah but, but at the same time there are also series that you know help to highlight that the real issues that you go through are you know, very real very normal and that's you know it, it shouldn't be uh ever stigmatized if you ever want to discuss them seek help or help someone who has uh 
or, or is suffering from you know a mental condition or a mental illness particularly nowadays when you know a lot of people are going through the motions of you know the fallout of covid and you know we really do hope that everybody up there especially if you're listening to this as well like you know that you're doing well um and you know that the jp is here to help as well right and of course doesn't mean that we won't talk about stupid shit doesn't mean that we're going to be dumbasses. Oh, we're still two boys talking about anime and manga. Right. So. But I think that we want to, with the Good Anime Palette podcast, strike a good balance between the dumb stuff, the good stuff, and the serious stuff. And have them all intertwine with one another. Because at the end of the day, anime and manga is awesome. And uh, it's a large community as well. And it's a community that welcomes everybody too. So don't be afraid to ever reach out to anybody to... Talk about things, whether it's mental health, anime, manga, even the the less serious stuff. Right. So you can always reach us through our email, gapalette at gmail.com. That's G-A-P-A-L-E-T-T-E at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. On Twitter, using the handle at palettegood, that's capital P and capital G, all one word. Or through our GAP Discord server using the invite link in the show description. We also have a website. We encourage you to check it out, www.goodanimepalette.com, all lowercase, all one word. Music credits for this episode. Our intro music is Ninth Power by Henyo. Our break music is Salamanca by Sarah the Instrumentalist. And our outro music is Golden Rules by Luax. You can support the music artists we feature by listening to them on Spotify, Apple Music, or other various music listening platforms. And our royalty-free music was provided by Epidemic Sound. If you're interested... You can sign up using our referral link in the show description to get 10% off your first 12 months and the first 30 days of description for free. Terms and conditions apply. So that was quite a heavy, intense subject, but... I'm glad we did it. I'm really glad we did it. And um, we talked about a lot of shows. Some we, we think are you know, done very well. Very representative of what they're trying to discuss, right? But, of course, you know, there might be some series, particularly on the manga side, actually, that we might have missed out on. So Plenty, actually. We wanted to go over so many, but... If anybody has any suggestions or maybe, like, any questions they might have about certain series, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, We want to be as informed as possible as well. So the more we read, the more we watch, the the better we are for it. All right, so, well, let's let's end this on a dumb note. Is there anything you want to sort of... No, do or say no not really actually shit it's kind of hard to segue into a dumb funny thing but um look we, we hope you enjoyed listening to this um and if you didn't um if you have any issues with it whatsoever look you can let us know um we were always we're always open to to have to a any, dialogue right yeah, have a conversation we just want to talk that's basically it that's what we do this podcast for right and until next time we will have uh We'll just leave you guys for the time being, and then we'll come back and have another conversation literally another time we record, right, Will? Yeah, in something two like weeks' that. time, something like something that. Something like that, yeah. Right. So we'll catch you all very soon. Have take, a safe and happy day. Take and, care. Uh, talk to you soon. <laughs>